Jimmy Maurer's communication and organization are massive in those moments too, and he's been out for two games now. So, right. did Pachinko yeah, hit or something? That's the Dan's dog beater. <laughs> Somebody hit Pachinko. That's <laughs> when you know it's six o'clock. Yeah, uh, I'm right now. Awesome. Pachinko. Well, hello there. Oh, wait, I got to do the open first. I got to do the ad, don't I? Oh, crap. Well, you can Here's always do ad. it after. No, I'll do it here. Let's just do it. Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Now, Soccer 90 is your source for all things FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear, and maybe even a Ricardo Pepe jersey or two. Highlights include the Dallas Tornado Tee, which is exclusive to this store, and the FC Dallas Kick Childhood Cancer Pregame Top in its funky design. And all third, all third Degree listeners receive 25% off your order when you use the code ThirdDegree at checkout at Soccer90.com. I wonder if they have national team socks. Hmm. Hmm. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fans. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. And I have a feeling this one's going to be quite interesting. Joining me today, of course, all the way from somewhere in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, our favorite Englishman, Dan Crook. Uh, that would be Richardson. Oh, you're in Richardson, okay. I am. I am. Are you in deep old Richardson? No, no, I'm in... Uh, By all the I mean, Asian I'm... restaurants? Uh, close enough. Mm, there's uh, some food over there. There is some excellent food over here. And and lots of uh, dead ducks hanging in windows, too, which is... That something. makes it a good restaurant. Not according to my wife, no. Uh, and, of course, your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, and soon-to-be T-shirt billionaire... The amazing Buzz Carrot come in Buzz. Hi, Peter, calling in today from Cloud Nine. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Cloud Fourteen, actually. Fourteen? Oh, yeah. Cloud, yeah. Cloud, Cloud Fourteen. Yeah. So I wake up this morning. I turn on the radio to listen to my favorite radio station, and I hear uh, my good friend Sean Bass doing the first ticket ticker of the morning. And it's also, by the way. Dallas Cowboys opening day, which normally sucks up all the oxygen in the room. And at the end of the ticker, what does Sean do? But he does an entire 30 seconds about Ricardo Pepe, his debut for the U.S. men's national team, his goal-winning score, and his three assists. And I actually had a little bit, I think it's safe to say this to you guys, a little sports cry. I was so overwhelmed by the moment. Well, for a split second, Peter, I was wondering what Sean Bass was doing on 91.7, but then I realized that you meant the ticket, and uh, I'm with you. I'm sure there's a little happy cry there when, when, when I know like how hard it was to get the ticket to even talk about soccer at all, and as things become more and more on the conscious level uh, of the broader sport spectrum, soccer, I mean, um, it's just great. It's, it's, we've been around so long now that we remember how horrible coverage was way back 40 years ago. And so it's so pleasing to see things changing. Uh, Dan, uh, Bob and Corby, the hardline, opened their show, did an entire opening segment about Pepe and the national team in FC Dallas today, by the way, on the day the Cowboys kick off their new season. 
Well, that's uh, let that soak in yeah. for a few minutes. Now that's, I mean, thirty minutes at the end of the ticker was thirty minutes. Thirty seconds in the ticker was one thing. The lead segment of Bob and Dan. I mean, that's no, no, Bob and Corby, the hard line. I'm sorry. Yeah, I keeps. I'm. I'm. That's how old school ticket I am. That I'm back to like a year and a half ago when it was Bob and Dan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the hard line, Bob and Corby. Well, you know, that's because I called Corby. We played little league baseball together, so I told him to. No, that's not why. You probably beat Corby up and picked on him. No, no, the other way around. He's he's a, was a year older than me, so he beat on me and picked me. <laughs> he's the bully. Yeah, he was the older kid. Yeah. Oh man, guys, it's been a weird uh, 20 hours or maybe not only 18 hours uh, watching that last night. And and I don't want to get too much into the national team part of it, but I do think it's worth our time to talk with the, to talk about the peppy effect because uh, I said this last night on the kick around podcast, you know, when it was one, nothing and it was looking very gloom and doom for the U.S. men's national team, like two points out of three games, and, oh, God, we're never going to qualify for another World Cup again. It did dawn on me that I was now stuck with a club team and a national team, both counting on an 18-year-old kid to score goals for them, and that really bummed me out because there's a part of that that's cool, but there's another part of it that's not cool. But after uh, what Ricardo did in the last, I don't know, 30 minutes of that game, well, I guess the last 45 minutes of that game, I just need to get uh, comfortable with the fact that Ricardo Pepe is really just that damn good. Imagine, Peter, if your job was being on the line with an 18-year-old scorer and not scoring, which <laughs> may or may not be true of both Lucia Gonzalez and Greg Berhalter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's the yeah. job savior. Yeah, he, the he really is. Savior. Well, listen, we, we've talked about how different uh, Pepe is wired than a lot of other people. The the kind of kid that at 18 can rise to these occasions as he's done. And it's been way more than one. It's, you know, first pro game hat trick with North Texas comes into this season, firmly entrenched behind the $3 million guy blows past him and takes away the starting job all the while predicting he was, he had a goal of 25 goals this year in the league, which is mind boggling. Goes to the All Star Game, scores, asks for the the winning PK, and takes it and does it and wins it, and now gets the call up, and then tweets with uh, t- trades text with his buddy to get all the social media stuff ready because I'm going to score tonight, and then goes out and scores. <laughs> this the kid is ridiculous. <laughs> he is ridiculous. Yeah, it's not. He has no self doubt. This is a kid that has absolute belief in his ability to deliver, and he's done it. I mean, that is ridiculous record over the last. Since early 2019 to now, I mean, you know, you can go all the way back to when he was a kid and he got spotted and he was in that New York Times article and he came to Dallas and dominated the Academy and everything. All the, the journey has been absolutely amazing and it's going to be amazing from here on up. I mean, this is just when he's 18, you know, he's going to have probably, unless he gets hurt or something, at least 12 to 15 more years of a career ahead of him. And I can't wait to see what the kid does. Dan, I'm I'm trying to I'm hoping that maybe or thinking that maybe somewhere in your lifetime back over in England, you can think of a parallel career path to a guy who in the course of what the last is it three weeks, uh, month, two weeks where he, you know, he elevates himself by scoring a hat trick. Uh, in his league he's become the the lead american scorer in his league he goes to an all-star game and wins that game announces that he's picked the united states or he you know he's announced he's going to play for a particular country then goes and shows up and in his debut scores the winner and has three assists is there another thing you can think of in your lifetime that compares to something like this Uh, i think 
when you consider kind of where he came from, uh, no. Uh, you know, for all your Wayne Rooney's and Michael Owens that have this hype train around them since they were 10 years old, Pepe didn't have that. He came up, you know, he spotted at 13. You know, we knew the rumblings, but then at 15, you know, they kind of, it, it starts elevating. He's going to be the North Texas guy. He's going to be it. And, you know, sure enough, uh, you know, Buzz and I were down there when, when he was the surprise announcement, we were there at his first uh, first game with the hat trick, and it's just yeah, he's he's just made this uh, this impact really from from very little. It was interesting in the game because the one opportunity that he had in the first half, you just kind of worried that that was kind of the missed opportunity a guy making his debut has where a ball comes in a guy heads it to him and he's just not in the right position and you just wondered if anything was going to settle out for him I, I but I'm fairly certain nobody had any idea what happened in the second half was about to take place well I wasn't worried about his confidence to take another shot if that one came to him that was kind of behind him uh, what I was worried about is the way the U.S. was playing I wasn't sure he was going to get another opportunity uh, thankfully, Bearhalter made some adjustments and solved the tactical issues they were having and enabled the United States to play the way they're capable of playing. And that a lot of that went through and around Pepe, and that's that's what's so fantastic. And I, I had no doubt the kid could do it. But the, the thing, one of the things about Pepe, if you don't know him enough or watch him enough, and you don't listen to this podcast, probably does. He's not a player that does it all by himself. He can't pick up a ball 30 yards back, dribble through five guys and score. That That's not the kind of player he is. He's a player that thrives on combining with people. Now, it's not ticky-tacky, but if you don't play the ball into his feet, this happened to him one time at the U-17 World Championship, remember, when he was playing with Gio Rana, and I can't remember who the other guy on the other side was. Uh, oh, Griffin uh, Rao, Ra, I think. Rao. Uh, those two dudes weren't passing the ball into Pepe's feet. And so Pepe got shut out for a lot of that stuff. You have to combine with him. You have to play the ball into his feet, and he will make good things happen for your team. He's not going to do it by himself. Go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I did like, you know, in the first half, um, something that we've seen more probably with North Texas than, than FC Dallas at times was he went searching, trying to make those plays happen. He was dropping deep. He was dropping out wide, trying to pick up where um, – Oh, what the ginger fella was supposed to be sergeant yeah that that, that guy um he's not well i mean he's not good it's hard to remember so his name sensitive to call him a ginger bluey it's literally <laughs> the color of his hair um <laughs> but um you know he, he was doing those things that we, we've seen his game kind of develop over the last couple of years where he's not just staying up high central waiting for the pass to come in that he is coming searching trying to make things happen trying to you know uh trying to make those combinations uh happen we saw uh there's one uh, you know really nicely held up the ball just popped it out to Pulisic and and, and made the run into the box um I mean the the first goal uh you know that that's kind of how that came about is yeah, he, yeah he, in the first goal, he was doing the one thing that we all think is the weakest part of his game, which is hold-up play. And he didn't have a great game. of That aspect wasn't his very good yesterday, but in that one instance, he did exactly what he needed to do. Yeah, he was, he was also being marked by a guy who's, uh, you know, tra- who trained with him when he was 15 and kind of knows his game inside and out. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it was good to see him be like 
you know, in the first half where they were so timid, he was the one guy that was kind of afraid, to, not afraid to, come, well, say Pulisic, obviously, as well, but wasn't afraid to, like, make, you know, try and make his own space, try and make passing lanes appear where they weren't before and and make up for the fact that there wasn't a midfield. You know, um, one, of the, one of the things that he was doing yesterday that I was really impressed by, and I'm not even sure I've seen him do it this much for Dallas, which was his high, his pressing up front, like his willingness to go attack defenders and try to steal the ball away. And he was successful a few times in the course of the game. Uh, that was just an element to his game that I was really impressed by because the rest of the team in the first half just looked so kind of leggy and, and, and not into it. Uh, Pepe was very different. Yeah, that, that high act to press that energy is a – what has really accelerated for Dallas over the last six games or so, maybe going back to when we saw the advent of all these young kids playing up front. Uh, it particularly peaked in the Austin game, of course. Um, and some other national reporters were like, wow, this kid really presses like crazy. And I said, well, no, he's been doing that for a while. He even did that in the Academy. It's just a question of having the entire team collected, being able to do it usually for FC Dallas. Um, the other thing, of course, that Pepe does really well is he uses his movement off ball in particular to put the center backs under immense amounts of stress and make him make them react to him and either double him or follow him or hand him off. And every time he makes a movement run, he the, he stretches them and creates gaps. And that was particularly highlighted as well. I thought when the guy, other guys were able to find pay dirt because Pepe was occupying people. Hmm. Well, it was a tremendous, uh, I mean, it's really funny, the after effect of all of this was this tremendous performance has suddenly now elevated him almost instantaneously to the top of everybody's list is locking him in as a starter for the national team, no matter who shows up. And I, and I do think that's a bit of a stretch, um, yeah. but it also is representative of just how desperate the U.S. was for a number nine. And Jeff Carlisle said this and brought this up on the Kick Around podcast last night. Imagine if just two weeks ago, or however many weeks ago, he had announced he wasn't playing for the U.S. but Mexico. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, I would have shed a tear. Uh, obviously, I, I was really hoping he would pick the United States, and, and obviously, so should be everybody else. I, I don't think that he's a lock forever. I think he's a lock for the next game. There's no way he's not the next starting nine for the next game. The United, the national team in general, all national teams in general, are way too much about current form, health, what your club team is doing, who you're with in the rotation, who you're up against. It's way too volatile with large gaps between these groupings of games. So you can't guarantee anything such as, oh, it's Pepe's job for the next year, year till the World Cup. He gets the next game, and we'll see. That's how it works. I, the other side effect of this whole Pepe thing from last night is a conversation about what it means from many different angles about Dallas, football club Dallas, the club that we follow and love. Because I made the joke online, Buzz, you made the joke, and an infinite, another, uh, an infinite number of other people all instantly started tweeting uh, funny uh, gifts and images of people diving into piles of money or smoking dollar bills or wiping their butt with $100 bills and saying, hey, look, here's Dan Hunt after selling Ricardo Pepe to Team Club X in Europe. And, uh, you know, and, and, the, and then the question being asked of, well, how many more times are we going to see Ricardo in an FC Dallas shirt before they sell him? And, oh, by the way, the Turkish window is still open, so it could it could be one or two games, if ever, again. And I, you know, I, that's a whole aspect of this thing that 
bums me out and and also at the same time is conflicted with a le- uh, this kind of weird sense of pride. Well, yeah, certainly uh, we should all take, I think, collective pride in the if the organization moves players on to large amounts of money. That means that they're doing developing players from our backyard, from the players, the kids we watched growing up. You absolutely have a sense of pride for that. Um, I think whether they move him or not this winter, and, and no question, by the way, that the club is anticipating that's possible. Um, I know for sure that they are, on, at least the coaching staff is on some level. Um, the trick will be, and, and this is where it comes down to Dan Hunt, and probably even when you're talking about Pepe, probably even Clark Hunt. How much of a sell-on are they going to want? How much money are teams going to have available in the winter coming up? Because they have more money, international teams do, in the summer which is why Dallas keeps losing players in the summer because that's when they have all the money and that's when they do most of their moves. So can somebody meet their valuation this winter? I think it's probably pretty likely. I I think you can't get a phone conversation with the Hunts unless you come in with a floor of 10 million. And I think it goes up from there depending on how much of a selling you're willing to do or not. Uh, And probably somewhere realistically full price, maybe up to 15, I think. Now, I'm not a fun, uh, transfer expert by any means. And Dan, you've seen a lot more transfers than I have. Um, but I, I just think that like when you well, the further up the field you get and the more closer to being the goal scoring nine you get, the more the value is, the higher the value is, the higher the sale is going to be. And he's, as an 18-year-old, he's leading this team in scoring and he's the highest scoring American in the league. All those things mean big money. And this kind of shop window event where you do it for the national team, that – accelerates things because now multiple people have seen him. Anyone that really can afford him probably was already scouting him, but this kind of showcase moment will accelerate the price and the window. So you're going to have to assume that it's this winter worst, worst case in the terms of timeline next summer, God forbid. And the only way it's not is if some people are trying to play hardball with the hunts for some reason, based on what percentage they might want to keep. And then it might be the end of 22, Two possibly, but it can't be more than that. I don't think, Dan. What are you? Where are you on that? I, I mean, I think it it really depends how he does in the next set of qualifiers, and you know, does the uh, does the momentum stay up, or does he become the guy that scored ten goals then uh, for for the club and trailed off and scored his goal and had his assist for the national team and kind of just fell by the wayside? Like, you know, we've seen a few. Um, don't get me wrong, I think. You know, uh, I think when you've got, like, uh, P-Fork is probably, you know, he, I don't think you expect much more out of him than you've had. Um, DK is going to be kind of in that same position, you know, kind of been on fire for a club and then had a great turnout for the, for the national team, but you saw him in Gold Cup kind of go quiet and suddenly the, you know, 10 going on 20 million turned into no one really cares. Here you go, Oscar, you've got a striker again. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's just going to be a waiting game, especially as an 18-year-old. He's got he's got time on his side. Do you think there's uh, any conversation? Well, I, there's two parts to this question, and Buzz, you may have some more insight to this. But one, is there any conversation inside the front office of – Hey, what if we were just to open up a bank account and offer Pepe too much money to leave and make an argument as to his career would be better off keeping what he's doing here with Dallas and paying him to stay versus going overseas? And two, Buzz, do you have any idea 
as to what Ricardo Pepe wants to do with his career at this point. Is he one of these overly eager teenagers that just is desperate to get out from home and go see the world? Well, the answer to one, I think, is um, no, not really. They just gave him, relatively speaking to them, a big raise, a big contract. Do we know what he's on? I forgot if, no. they, if we knew. No, they didn't. But you have to assume, I think, that relatively speaking, it's going to be similar to Paxton and Jesus. You know, plus, and, but as we always say, further up the field, more goal scorers, the higher it's going to be. Is it going to be a million? I'm, I would guess it's something like, you know, it, it starts lower and goes higher, just like Paxton Jesus's did. I think Paxton's averages at like six something. So maybe it averages at seven, seven and a half. I mean, that's just wild speculation based on what we know about how the hunts work and how these deals have worked, these homegrown deals. You know, this comes back to the idea that if you're not paying him a relatively decent number, people are not going to come in. They're going to go, well, you're paying this kid 70 grand. Why in the world should we give you $10 million? It's, you have to pay them in advance of that. So these you pay these kids this kind of money so that you can sell them for larger amounts of money. And in the end, the Hunts have a wage structure for this organization. Now, they will pop it for somebody like Frank O'Hara when the owner wants to go get his guy. Or they will push it a little bit for Yamaro Diaz's. But you know, you know here that they've never signed any DPs that have these crazy salaries. They always sign guys just a little bit above the DP and then buy them down. They buy, they get guys in their 800. Reto was eight something, right? You had uh, Diaz was just short of a million or right around a million. Franco's the one that kind of is out of line. It's just not the, how they do business with this organization. They don't sign $10 million players here. So they're, I don't think the hunts are going to become different and the way they operate this franchise, because they, they firmly believe now, 25 years in, that they're doing it correctly. Now, everyone out there can disagree with them, you, and you're perfectly entitled to disagree with them, but they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to me. The, yeah. the hunts are going to talk to each other, and they're going to decide. So the part one is no, they're not going to do that. Part two, uh, Pepe is not, in my experience, one of these kids that's always yapping about Europe and always has his eyes on Europe. Uh, and I don't mean this to be negative, but compare him to Dante Seeley, right? Dante Seeley, right. every time you turn around, Dante Seeley's going on a trial somewhere, or he's trying to go on a trial somewhere, or he's talking about it, or he's tweeting pictures, or he's going and meeting people, right? Pepe didn't do that. Pepe went to Bayern with the club and their, and their setup and their people, right? That's the only one he's done, and he's done it with them. He's been, he's been very um, open. Like when he signed the contract, he said, I'm happy to be here for a couple of years. I definitely want to be over there. So he does want to go absolutely 100% for sure. Now, whether he wants to go to Europe or whether he wants to go to Mexico, I, I would assume Europe and not Mexico, but money does talk in the end sometimes. So we'll see because he has a value in Mexico that he doesn't have, that some other guys wouldn't have just as an, just because of his heritage and where he's from. Um, but so I think hundred percent, yes, he wants to go, but he's not, I, I think a lot of this will come down to the right, situation because i would assume his agents and his people and certainly so far they seem to be savvy enough to understand that you don't necessarily want to take the very highest offer because then you might end up playing in russia or something you want to go to the right situation where the organization believes in you and the coaches believe in you and not go somewhere where you're just going to end up being relegated and drowning in your back in two seasons you know i think we can look at examples of like breck shea or kenny cooper who didn't go to the right situations and it didn't really pan out for them. Okay. So I guess the question then becomes this, 
is going to ultimately end up being the most depressing of all of the success stories for FC Dallas as a, if you're a fan of the team, right? Because after years and years and years of complaining about not having a proper number nine and a goal scorer and a consistent goal scorer, not only do you have one, it's a product of your own academy. And yet because of the structure of the club, the reality is he's so good, they've got to sell him because that's the business model. Yeah, it's a risk reward of how long do you wait? Because if he does well, his price keeps going up. If he gets hurt, he's valueless. So it's a gamble. Mm. And it's hard to go long on that gamble because then the odds get worse and worse and worse, although the payoff could be get better and better and better. But then so much of that is on Pepe too. You know, you don't you just don't know. I mean, we'd all love to see him for a couple more seasons, wouldn't we? But you can't it comes back to the idea, can you stand in somebody's way? If the right thing comes along, if the right situation comes along, the right money comes along. It's like Mario Diaz, right? He tripled his contract. They were like, dude, go. We can't tell somebody to stop, you know? Right. Okay. Just to establish a bar, because now I think it's the right time to do it, and we'll keep monitoring this from episode to episode as we see how the season plays out. On a scale of 1 to 10, we're going to call this the uh, peppy meter, okay? <laughs> ten, okay? 10 being he's gone. And one is he's he's here for next season. On a scale of one to ten, I'll start with Dan. Dan, where is the peppy meter on the likelihood that he is still with this club for the twenty twenty two season? Uh, I'm not. Uh, you said it was one. He is here. Yeah, one is here. Ten, he's gone. Uh, I'm at a four point five. Hmm. Interesting. Buzz. I'm gonna go six only because FC Dallas has gotten to the point where they, they hate getting burned with these mid season sales. It keeps happening and they don't like it. But the other side of the coin is that the other teams have a lot more money in the summer. So I think it's actually, I think Dallas, if they're going to lose him and they probably know that they'll want to try and lose him this winter and not next summer. So that's six for me. Okay. And before we get into the last result for the club, just real quickly, Buzz, if in fact they were to sell Pepe, is who's next in the pipeline for oh, FC geez. Dallas when it comes to that position? Is there anybody on the road even close? Uh, not close. Um, the, the kids that are in the academy, there's a couple of them that are interesting, but they're they're at where Pepe was when he was 15, or they're where Brian Reynolds was when he was 15, 16 years old. They're not. 18, 19 years old. Okay. The two, the two closest ones are Knight Pickering, who's a pure nine, but he's not. Uh, a, he doesn't stretch the field like Pepe can do. He's a what you call a fox in the box. He's more like Frank O'Hara. Don't don't hate that, but that's style wise. That's how he plays. Um, and then the the other one is who's come on like gang, gangbusters is um, Talik, uh, uh Scott Scott. Uh, he's the one I wanted to say Henry Scott because that's his brother's last name, but he's just Scott. Um, he's the one that's came out like gangbusters of lately. He's a more of a, has a more vertical style and component to his game and more stretch the field, but he's a late blooming just now starting to come into his own and score. So those are the two closest guys, but those dudes are two or three years away from being where Pepe was last year. You know what I mean? They're just not, there's a, there's a gap here. Right. right. We have to we have to get through. And there's nobody with the academy uh, with North Texas that plays that way. 
I mean, there's there's uh, Alex Bruce and there's um, Jaquel, but I don't think either one of those guys have MLS level ability. So you're, you're looking at the, the guys that are forwards that are exciting down there are wingers. They're not nines. So uh, you'd have to wait for one of those other guys, and that's a good bit off before they could be. Now, I'm not saying that one of those two guys couldn't be signed in the next year and a half. They definitely could be. But when you sign these teenagers, look at Paxton, look at Jesus, look at Reynolds, look at Tanner. None of them produce at 15. It's 17, 18, 19. You start, they start to make hay. So that's why it's you can't look to replace Pepe from the academy right now. You'd have to go get somebody. Buzz, um, one name that a couple of people brought up just to get your uh, full thoughts on was Brian Padilla. Oh, yeah. Well, Brian's not a nine either. He's a um, false wing. Uh, used to be like a 10. He's also had some serious, serious injury problems. Really talented in the academy. He could be a, a difference maker that could win you games from time to time when he could rise above the level of play. Bags and bags of talent. Really concerned about the injury record because he's had two major, major injuries at Maryland. Also not a nine. So he's while, while he's a guy that I think could – It'll depend on. I actually don't even know if he's kept up his training regimen, so he's even could be a homegrown. I assume he has, but um, I, I don't know if he's going to be a homegrown type level, and certainly is not a nine. All right. Well, since we last talked, uh, and I'm glad Pepe had this game because the real the other reality is is that Dallas went on the road to Salt Lake since we talked last and lost a game three to two to the baddies with the new coach in Salt Lake. And, uh, I, you know, this was a frustrating game in many ways, wasn't it, Buzz? It is because if you go on the road against Salt Lake City and get a couple of goals, you ought to be able to come out of there with some points. So it's a real letdown. Excuse me, I got a little frog in my throat. It's a real letdown that they gave up three goals. Um, we'll talk about why that happened, but um, that game was there for the taking, and they did not – come out with some points. Even if you just gotten a point, that would have been great. And it, the upside is some of the positive play offensively continued, um, particularly Jesus Ferreira is just on absolute fire. I think I had him as man of the match for at least two straight, if not three. Um, the kid's just playing out of his mind. <laughs> he is. And maybe, maybe just to like smooth over everything, we should just talk about that goal for a few minutes and just enjoy oh. it before we get into the, all the bad parts of the game. Yeah, well, I mean, he made the first goal, too. I mean, Franco O'Hara got the goal on the score sheet, but it was all Jesus. And then the second one was like, was it 1v4? I mean, it was ridiculous, that goal. That, that's the kind of individual goal that only happens when a kid's just playing on absolute peak confidence and form. And Jesus, as the season has gone on, has gotten better and better and better. And the last three or four games, honestly, he's carried this team, particularly since Pepe left, he's carried this team. Yeah, that was so impressive in a lot of ways because not only is it the number of people he beat, but to sit the guy down and then to cut back and roof the, the, the finishing shot was that was pretty great. Uh, yeah, that was, but that was the highlight of the game. The rest of it, not so much. But we also get to talk about the fact that we had another game where Dallas started one of these weird, dreamy, homegrown midfields. 
Oh yeah, the Savania uh, and uh, Surreal together. Yeah, that was fun. Well, Paxton's I'm, out there. Yeah. Jesus is out there. Pepe's in front of him. I mean, yeah. I mean, really, these the things that we are seeing in 2021 are all things that we joked slash dreamed about. I don't know four or five years ago. Yeah, if you include Shun in that mix, like you, the dream of having the Savania, Cirillo, Paxton, uh, Jesus, Shun, Pepe, that front six. You're never going to you're not going to get to see it for more than like a couple of glimpses at the end of this year or if Pepe sticks around for half of next year. You're not going to get to see it very much because Cervania and Surreal are a little bit behind and aren't quite at that every game starter level yet. You know, and, and, and Paxson's had his injury problems and Jesus and Pepe are going to get call ups and so is Shun. So it's going to be hard to get it all on the field at the same time with a high frequency. But what a joy that's going to be to watch. It, it reminds me of. Uh, it's a completely different positions, but it reminds me of the Manchester United group. The is it class of '92, Peter, that came through 92. like '90, yeah. five or six guys. If you had their money, you could do the same thing. You could keep all those dudes and make this run, and it would have been so much fun. But uh, we have to enjoy the snippets we're going to get of it. Now Dallas does score the first goal in this game, and as you mentioned, it was a beautiful uh, Jesus pass. It was an Obreon dummy and a horror finish, and that was about as nice as we've seen somebody not named Ricardo Pepe or Jesus for a play for this team in a while. And in fact, Dan, I'm going to ask the question and it's okay. There is no wrong answer here, but am I wrong? But is Yadier Obron actually playing okay for this team of late? Um, I think, I mean, in Austin, absolutely. And Houston, absolutely. Didn't think he was amazing against Raul Salt Lake. Did have, uh, you know, a recorded assist and and the dummy on the first goal. So, I mean, at least even in games where he's not, his passes aren't necessarily hitting the mark and defensively he's not, you know, putting in his best game that he can still have some impact in the attack. Uh, It's better than just having a passenger that's kind of sitting there, Freddie Vargas. Um, (laughs) Cowbell. (laughs) But, no, I mean... um, yeah, it was uh, definitely definitely good to see him actually getting involved there and not just kind of, you know, flailing his arms around on the sideline, looking sad that he hasn't got a pass to his feet or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah I, I it must be better because in my notes, I literally wrote, excuse me, but is Hadir playing well? Because <laughs> something about his game was not bad, and I, and it wasn't making me roll my eyes. And I was thinking, wow, actually, he's he's doing some things good here. And I, uh, Buzz, have you noticed it too? Well, he's turning the ball over less. I, I think <laughs> I feel like, and, and that feels like a positive. I mean, I know. Look, we're we're looking for shiny moments, right? He's I mean, not I, wrecking the car when he goes yeah, to the grocery store, right. dear. <laughs> well, sometimes it's just get out of the way, right? I mean, it's like don't just don't wreck it. Right. So, like, you know, sometimes we ask for little victories, you know, and, and from where he was before the internationals left, when he was maybe he was trying too hard. I mean, is that a thing? You know, there he had this five or six game stretch where we kept saying, please bench the man. Will you please bench the man? Oh, my God, bench the man. Uh, but then last game, I didn't I didn't really feel that at all. I was like, I was like, oh, oh you know, OK, you know, it's not it's not great, but it's not not, not horrible anymore. You know, yeah. So. He's staying in there the whole 90 minutes. You know, his his passing rate is actually over 50% or right at 50%. You know, he actually had a couple of tackles, you know, won like half of his duels. I mean, that's not horrible, right? Particularly like, think about it going forward too. 
if you're going to have Frank O'Hara, and that's a discussion for later in the thing, but let's talk about O'Brien for right now. If Frank O'Hara is your nine, you've, you you desperately need O'Brien because somebody has to get behind the defense. And, you know, Paxton can't do it right now, and O'Hara sure as hell can't. So, like, you really need him. And <laughs> yeah, he is the only speed on the team. And, in fact, it's funny you mention that because the notes that I have after this, which all take place after the goal and Dallas is up one nothing at this point, is I have – Hara slow parentheses 30 minute uh, 30th minute scramble and what I'm thinking of is I think he receives a ball to his feet and tries to play it into space but he's so slow his mark beats him to the ball and uh, that's just kind of a a repetitive thing with Franco at this point which is he's just not fast enough for this league for some of the things that he's trying to do and then after finishing the goal he does have a really uh, pretty bad uh, simple finish that he hits wide left yeah you know I, I don't know where Dan is on her at this point but I'm to the point now where I I want him to not start I, he's so different than Pepe that it changes the entire team because you're, you're right he can't go by somebody the only way to play with him is to put it into him and let him lay it off to guys that are going past him. And that's not what they do with Pepe. Pepe doesn't post up. So that's it's a completely different style. And the whole front four has to alter the dynamic if Hara's in there. So I'm, I did my little post-game reaction. It's time to not play him no matter what. You cannot start him. You have to keep him as a change coming off the bench. Now, there's various ideas about how you do that. But I, 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 just, I just watch the guy play and I think, there's just there's there's no contribution coming from him as a starter. He cannot perform for more than about ten or twenty minutes at a, at a, at most. But who plays that position if Ricardo's not available? Well, I want to hear what Dan says um, that to that question first, and I know what everybody online said about it, and then I'm going to have an answer later after I hear what Dan said. So, Dan, go ahead. Uh, I'm happy with uh, Hara starting games where you know it's going to be physical kick the ever-loving shit out of the striker because he he can absolutely handle that. We saw that in that Houston He's our preseason beat up game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, but he, you know, that those are the times where he gets you uh, to to your destination. Um, I mean, you know. I, I guess the obvious one is you know let Jesus take top spot and slot in uh, packs them behind especially if uh, if Shun's back for the for the left wing role it's just i you know you want options and fc dallas doesn't have a ton of them right now yeah this comes back to peter the idea that the roster construction is off you know we love what pepe's doing frank o'hara provides an alternative there's no third choice nine there's no third option here so if Pepe's gone, you have to start Frank O'Hara. You really have to. And then I, then I turned around and said, I want him to not start, period. Now, Dan's right. Maybe San Jose is a good example, too, of when that banging you know, for 60 minutes will work, and that's fine. So the reason why most people, I think, said Jesus nine packs underneath is because we've all seen Jesus play nine for the national team, and he's perfectly good at it, right? But for me, that's a Lucciism. Take your best player and put him where you have a problem. I, I in the academy, great. At the pro level, I hate that. I don't want to. I don't want to break the rest of the midfield because I want to move Jesus up. We just said Jesus is carrying this team right now. Leave Jesus where he is. You have to find a way to find another body 
to play that position if it can't be Frank O'Hara. And I would have said for sure don't, but Dan has a good point about maybe against San Jose. So for me, you had to do something else. If Dante Seeley was still here, you could try him. You could honestly try to Obreon like they used to do with Barrios as wow. a nine, right? <laughs> Khalil, try Khalil on the car as a nine. He's got a peppy style, right? Those things are not great options. They change the team less than Franco Hara does or moving Jesus does. So that's why I think it's a tough answer. There's also a further complication about San Jose coming up, which we'll get to in the training report later. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Paxton Pomacall is not a 10. The end yeah. period. Yeah, I'm with you on that. All right. Uh, let's see. Then we get into the bad part of the game because suddenly now the game turns and we have a really weird situation where uh, Frank O'Hara commits a foul. Uh, uh, Real Salt Lake restarts play. Paxton, of all people, fails to shut down the wide player, uh, allows the cross into the box. Uh, Edwin Cerillo seems to walk away from his mark and now we're at 1-1. Weirdly, he was almost hugging Brandon Savania. I think they were trying to mark each other. It was very weird. And but it, it was, was one of the yes. <laughs> it was Justin Glad's run. That's that's one of your two midfielders is is supposed to pick up that run, and that's again and again and again. People falling asleep on quick set pieces on, on set pieces in general for either from deep or, or quick plays. Yeah, Buzz, this is one of those weird deals where we're all excited about Brandon and Edwin playing together, but that's also the moment you're like, man, we really could have yeah. used somebody like Faco in that mid. Because you just had a sense that somebody, uh, that uh, Quinone would have probably figured that one out. Yeah, it, it could be Faco. It could be, well, it should be Hedges and isn't. Um, what it is and what's missing is you, Daniel Hernandez's mentality and mental toughness. It could, it could be any number of people. Um, Hedges is not vocal enough. This is the one criticism we have of Hedges, one of the greatest defensive players in this team's history, is he doesn't talk enough. And he, in those that's moments, why he's not on the national team. That's exactly right. In that moment, somebody on the team needed to be grabbing people by the scruff of the neck and saying, get your ass over there. Danny Hernandez would have done it. Chad Deering probably would have done it. Oscar would have done it. Lionel definitely would have. Lionel definitely would have done it. Even some guys like... Richard Fair or Zarco used to do that kind of stuff. You know, there's been lots of people in this organization's history that had that quality. Right now, they're missing that, particularly if Faco's not in there. And he's not been here long enough, Faco, that he's ready to, like, really grab that by the reins. Next year, he might be more likely to do that. And we, we love Hedges, but Hedges needs to do that. Brisson does it when Brisson's there, but he's hurt. He's out, too. So you're seeing those letdowns because you don't have that mentality. It, it's not always just, I want an old guy as my six. It, it can be that, but it's not necessarily the answer. But you're right that Edwin and, and Brandon both have the ability to switch off a little bit. That's one of their one of their signs of their inexperience in youth and and, and maybe two young guys. That's what we said earlier. Like that six right now, that front six combo of all those homegrowns is tough this early, just because Brandon and Edwin are a tiny bit behind their progression. So you know that's a letdown moment, unfortunately. And, and there was a couple more to come. We can yeah, probably... Oh, go ahead. I'm pre- sorry, go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, we could probably preface it by saying it wasn't just Edwin and Brandon that switched off. The whole team had a sloppy night on basics. You know, people weren't picking up markers. Uh, I think it was only Savania and Hedges or, or Felipe uh, that were above 85% passing rate, which, you know, is just insane for, for Luchibo. Um They were just... 
it wasn't a horrible performance, but the basics were, it was just it was sloppy. It was it was. Well, you, you, know, know it, you know what it was, Dan? It was a typical Major League Soccer road performance. Well, especially at altitude was the thing yeah. I was going to get to. Like, uh, you know, when they did the presser afterwards, Ryan Holland's head, Ryan Hollyhead is uh, he's coughing up a lung. He's saying, you know, sorry, guys, I'm not making an excuse, but it's a real struggle to breathe right now with this altitude. Don't undersell, after- by the way, Jimmy Maurer missing. Uh, uh, let, me just, let me just read you the Maurer hit. That way it'll be clean. Uh, the big the big thing missing in this game too, of course, is Jimmy Maurer's leadership and organization and communication. He's massive in those moments, particularly those dead ball moments with organizing the back. Uh, Philippe does not have that thing. That's the biggest separation between those two guys. And the defense is much more organized when Maurer's in there, and that's a big factor. Is that a is that a, a language difference? Uh, I, I think it's experience. Uh, I don't think Philippe's got enough language. Obviously, Fleep and Brisson, when Brisson's in there, the organization is better. Those guys are obviously more on the same page because of the language. But um, I, I, I'm not going to knock Philippe for his inability to speak English. I think it's just a case of Jimmy's 31 and has played you know, several hundred more games than Philippe has. And that's all it really is. Well, I, it's funny we're talking about this because in my notes, as we get into uh, Salt Lake's second and third goals, I, my notes all say Dallas has lost all intensity. They're playing too direct. They're very sloppy. All of the turnovers are just way too easy. And that was kind of a recurring theme throughout the rest of the game is the, is the team just kind of fell apart. And again, I guess the question is, is that a byproduct of the fact that they don't have Pepe on the field? Is it a byproduct that they're on the road? Is it you know, too many games in a short period, you know, is it all those things in a mix? Uh, not too many games, but um, on the road, missing some leadership, missing some of the internationals. This team's just not very good on the road. It's been better of late, but um, you know, young guys that haven't been playing a lot, all of a sudden playing a fair amount. Philippe had a great game the game before. And then this game was terrible. The rebound on the second goal was a little soft, and then Ryan wasn't where he was supposed to be, so his guy was wide open and had a point blank free goal. And then on the third goal, Philippe just flat boned it. I mean, that's just right. got to be better. That's not if if you're going to do that, you're not going to have a career. So it's like that that one for sure. And I and I think the second one was soft. So two out of three are on him, at least half, if not completely. You know, so the defense has got to step it up the next game. They got to tighten that up, and I, I'm sure. Based on what I saw, I'm sure there's going to be some changes. And one of the other notes that I have in here, and I couldn't quite figure out if this was a byproduct of the fact that everybody was just too winded because of altitude or if this was a tactical instruction from Lucci, was it just seemed like they were playing far too direct. Like everything was, hey, we just won the ball in our half of the field. Let's immediately get it to the other half of the field. And that's not Lucci ball typically, so I was confused as to whether or not that's just panic clearing and everybody freaking out because they're not in, in a good frame of mind? Or was Lucci trying to get people forward quickly and telling them to do that? That's a good question. <laughs> well, um, yeah. Go ahead, Dan. I was just saying, yeah, that really didn't, uh, you know, I mean, that certainly didn't get addressed on the uh, on the call after the game. Am I, uh, is that an observation on my part that's not fair or inaccurate? No, I think, I, I think, I think it's, it's totally fair. Yes, it's fair. No, listen, the way they've been playing the last five or six games has been less of what we would call Lucci ball, right? They're playing a little more mid-block, and then they're they're counterpunching a little bit the, the way Oscars teams used to do. Like Pepe, you know, and, and 
Ashun and Obreon and those guys, whenever whichever ones are in there, they've become very much like turn and go, packs and two, turn and go, and they try and get forward pretty quickly. There's there's no more of this lollygagging around so much in the midfield. So and and some of the success has come from that. So it's possible, and I think very likely that as they got a little tired, they they were still trying to use this method, and Frank O'Hara can't do that method, you know. So Obreon's making a run up there, and there's nobody in the middle, or or you know, it's just not, it just wasn't working. Now they did score two goals, you know, mostly because Jesus was Jesus. So a lot of those components were still there. They just defensively just didn't hold it together. And then uh, I, I always, I, you know, when this happened, I guess this is a byproduct of injury and this, that, and the other, but it was really weird at one point to realize that they were subbing out two homegrown center midfielders for two South American <laughs> veteran imports uh, I I just do I just think that's a really weird thing to sit and think about for a little bit. You know yeah, what I mean? Does yeah. that make any sense? <laughs> well, it is. I mean, it's it's just a confluence of injuries and golfs and that kind of things. But uh, you well, know, wait a second. Ricarte's not hurt. He's just bad. Well, no. Ricarte's not bad. Ricarte's a phenomenal player. He's an excellent player. Lucci uh, just doesn't so play him. so out of four. I mean, I don't know, Buzz. I, I'm getting to the point where I, I believe there is a good player in Ricarte, but I've seen too much of him turn the ball over, make bad passes, bad first touch here and there. I, I just, I'm really starting to wonder if he really is the player we all thought he, we all hyped him up to be. Do you know who leads this team and passes completed into the opposition box? I'm, you're going to tell me it's Ricarte. Yeah, it's Ricarte. As little as he's played, he's still by volume. I don't know any percentage. I mean, the yeah. raw number. He's connected the most passes into the opposition box. The dude is a phenomenal player. Lucci's just not using him correctly. Okay. Uh, I just feel like the last three or four times I've seen him on the field, I go, now I get why Lucci's not playing him. Well, there's certainly reasons why Lucci's not playing him, and a lot of them have to do with the way he plays defense. You know, it doesn't work with the way Lucci does it. Now, he actually has a, has a high number of pressures, too. He doesn't win a lot of duels, but he pressures more than almost everybody else on the team. Yeah. So, like, there's a good player there. It just doesn't fit with the system, and Lucci's not going to use him. So, you know, it, it, again, the fact that you have two homegrowns getting replaced by two veteran South Americans, this is an organization that has a crap ton of homegrowns and plays them. So that's more likely to happen for Dallas than anybody else. And, you know, you combine it with form and injuries and then call-ups and you're going to get some weird stuff. <sighs> I know. It's just, uh, it, it, it just, it just adds another element to the confusing story that is FC Dallas, if that makes any sense. Oh, well that it does. Yeah. <laughs> this club is uh, very confusing. Now I do want to point out, and I'm wondering how you guys felt about this. Cause I was extremely frustrated for all the good that Jesus did in this game, I was really pissed at him at the end of the game because he had an opportunity to make a simple pass to a wide-open player on his right. I think it was Ed L. McCarr, Ed L. Ed McCarr, or however he pronounced his last name. How do you pronounce his last name? El Medcar. El Medcar, thank you. I don't know if that's who it was, but Jesus chose to take the shot with two defenders standing dead in front of him to, to tie the game, and I thought that was a bad decision. That was a selfish and bad decision on Jesus's part. Conversely, we've had so many, so many times complaining about guys being afraid to shoot and passing it around the box and then losing it. Um, in that 
scenario, yeah, you, you kind of want him to, to play the smarter ball, but, you know, he's also the hot hand on the team, so you kind of want want the final shot to be the the informed guy. Okay. That's a fair shout, Buzz. Yeah, I agree. That, I agree with Dan. Uh, I think he made the wrong choice, but I also don't blame a guy that's as hot as he is and as good as he has been lately particularly in front of goal. So I don't, I don't blame him and I don't hate him for that moment. I do think it was the wrong choice, but that's, that's different than being mad about it. I I don't blame a guy. Well, uh, the boys are back in town on uh, Saturday night. Oh my gosh, it's nine 11. Uh, Good Lord. 20 years. Uh, And it's against San Jose. The game is on uh, uh, channel 21 and the game kicks off at seven 30 buzz. Will Ricardo Pepe start in that game? Do you think? Uh, I'm going to say no. Um, and don't forget also, there's a Tuesday game, uh, in New York. On the oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So I was just a, trying to preview the next game. Yeah. Up, so I'm just doubling up. Um, I talked to Lucci about returning guys and he said, every single guy is different and it has to do with what country they were in, how they're traveling, you know, how, what they were exposed to. So they actually won't even know you know, for a couple of days when they get back and all that, and if they test this or that or the other. So you can't really count on anybody specifically for Saturday. Right. You can cross your fingers. I mean, Vargas, who cares? Shun, you can assume <laughs> he has so far to go. It's so sad. <laughs> yeah. Shun has so far to go. I'm going to assume no. So Pepe's the coin flip. Um, but I was, I, I didn't mean it from, I'm sorry. I didn't ask my question very well. I just meant it generally assuming that he's clear to play. Oh, uh, do you think Pepe is immediately reinserted in the lineup based on all the travel and the mileage that got put on him in the last week? Okay. Oh, he only played one game. Yeah. Well, okay. Here's the other thing. Frank O'Hara's hurt. Oh, <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> yeah, Huntsman there, Dove. There's your Huntsman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like in, how hurt? Well, I don't know. In training on Wednesday, he got flattened and he was down for three or four minutes and they wrapped up his shoulder, arm, something. All right. Who flattened and, him? Uh, I don't even remember. <laughs> Probably Nikosi. So they took him in. They took Har inside um, and then. I asked Lucci about it, like, because then, then I was like, well, I was going to ask you anyway, who starts if Har can't play? And now I really want to know who starts if Har can't play. Um, and we had a conversation about lots of options, and, and, and I don't want to say flat out what he would do. Um, I think that most of you could probably guess what he would do. We talked about it earlier. So, <laughs> um, I, I, Lucci, though, sources tell yeah, us the 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 takeaway though is that Lucci was very confident that Hara would be back and be available. You, you know, mean having Pepe. no Hara. Oh, oh, that he wasn't yeah. injured so bad. That despite that he would, the sorry. fact, right? I mean, that's I watched him all, all but stretcher a guy into the locker room, and I was like, holy crap! But Lucci was like, eh, it's fine. So I mean, he obviously must have talked to his trainers and not been worried about it. I I'm assuming because he didn't seem remotely worried. Um, hmm. But there is a good chance that Hara is not going to be available and Pepe is not going to be available, which is one reason why I really wanted to have the conversation about who starts, you know. And Any chance that uh, that Lucci was uh, quietly hopeful? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have to make the choice to start? I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say nothing, but yeah, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so legit chance Hara is not available. I think he's going to be fine based on what Lucci told me. I, you know, he seemed like he was going to be fine. But I did see the guy get wiped out and go into the locker room. 
Um, and then Pepe, yes, Pepe could be back and walk right in. It's it's only going to be a protocol for that kid. He played one game. You know, it's not mm-hmm. a problem at all for a kid like that to walk in. Um, and I don't think you can count on Shun, but you'll get uh, Costa could walk right in and play too. Except that I think Brandon Cervini actually has been really good. And Lucci seems reluctant sometimes to just dump a kid just because Acosta's back. I mean, he let some guys play through when Acosta came back last time. So Did I see that Shun started for Hungary? He did, yeah. Did he assist. play well? Yeah, he assist. Well, really? they played they played somebody horrible, so it's not a big, you know, it's like playing your team. Played you know? Andorra, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Doro's no Barachos, that's for sure. No, I mean, you know, they're 150, 157th in the world or something. It's about the same level, frankly, Peter. <laughs> I watched some I need, of that game. I'm on. I'm telling you, it's uh, yeah. Well, if you can, if you could set up the Andorran national team versus the Barachos over fifty team at MoneyGram Park, we could probably sell a few tickets to. Yeah, that. it probably would be an even game. <clears throat> Even Steven. And I had forgotten yeah. about the New York City game. And by the way, that's at Red Bull. They've moved that game yeah. to Red Bull Arena, which is probably favor helps Dallas a lot because uh, uh, NYCFC does tend to benefit from playing on the trapezoidal field of Yankee Stadium. Well, let's get into um, San Jose game a little bit. Uh, Maurer, I don't think, is going to be back. He was not participating in training this week. So it'll be a fleep again. Um, and what is what is Morrow's injury again? I think it's his quad. I'm not really sure. The, the the MLS site says shoulder, but it ain't that. I think it's his quad. Okay. Being uh, kind it's of just because he went down clutching his shoulder one time. Yeah. But yeah. Um, they, they were trying some things in practice on defense. Um, it looks like Martinez is going to get the call, which is a pretty good passing. I like that against San Jose. Um, maybe a shakeup at left back. They did a bunch of uh, Imatua Masi left back, Che right back. That happened a bunch. Uh, you know, after after Hollings had boned that second goal, I'm not surprised that they're at least considering that. Hmm. Um, uh, Nicosi or Hedges at right center back, obviously with Martinez at left. Um, so it'll be, it'll be Nicosi or Hedges. I hope it's Nicosi, but it could be Hedges. Faco's probably back with Cervania, I think. Uh, Edwin's going to probably take a seat just because, A, you need Faco, and B, Brandon's been re- played really well two straight games, I thought. The front group will just be the same group, and depending on whether Hara can play and whether Pepe's back or whether Shun's back, you know, it's the obvious choices are up front. You know? Okay. Uh, let's see what else do we need to talk about here today on Ye Old Podcast. Uh, so we know. So your big news is that uh, 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 Hara is hurt. What about the other guys, Faco and Brisson? Etc. Yeah, et Rassam was working on the field next over, doing a bunch of like cutting kind of stuff. You know what they, what you do right before you rejoin. So I would actually anticipate he'll rejoin this next week. So probably not in time to play for New York, but certainly in time to play against uh, Houston. Oh, that'll be fun. Um, and then uh, as I said, Mauer didn't participate, and Faco was was all in a hundred percent. So I think Faco and Cervania is the combo in midfield. Okay. Interesting. Uh, what else? Anything else we need to talk about today? Uh, North Texas lost on a goal in the 92nd minutes for like the third time this season at Chattanooga. The same team has done it to them three times now. 
which is just an aberration. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm embarrassed to admit that I've completely stopped paying attention to North Texas soccer. I have no idea what's going on with their season. I just see a lot of uh, tweeting and message boarding back and forth that there's some really incredible streak going on with them right now. Well, there was. What was it? Uh, Dan, was it nine they were unbeaten? Yeah, and it was like all draws, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, well, the, it was. Yeah, they were undefeated, but they yeah. were all ties. Well, the book on North Texas this year is that their defense has. It took a while, but they've actually gotten their defense on the on a good place, mostly because of uh, Kaiser. Um, you know, so they've solidified the back, and they're not giving up a lot of goals, but they're not scoring a lot of goals, so they get a lot of ties, a lot of zero zero one one ties. Hence the unbeaten streak, but not winning streak so that's kind of they're in the top four so you know if they can get the offense squared up a little bit and figure out how to score some goals they've actually got a chance they'll they should be in the playoffs um they got a you know a third of their season left so they got plenty of time so you know quill always finds a way to get there eventually and, and it took him a long time to get his defense straight and now he's just got to get some goals going well, this is this question I'm about to ask. Maybe this may not be the right place for it. Maybe it's a different podcast for a different time. But at this point, I, like I said, I've completely lost all attention span about the about that particular team. But is there somebody? Are there players currently on North Texas that have any trajectory to FC Dallas? And if not, are there players that have a trajectory to be sold by this overall club to profit from them? And if not, why are we doing this? Uh, well, the answer to that is there are uh, a handful of players that project potentially to make it to the MLS level. They have a whole bunch of kids that are like 18, 19 that have some upside that they found in interesting sort of areas. Um, the kid from, is it Amarillo, Dan, uh, Bernard uh, Camungo, the yeah. kid, yeah, 18 years old. He's a fascinating player. I can't remember what town it's from. He was just playing high school soccer, not even club soccer. Um, uh, was it Abilene or Abilene? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, Abilene. Um, Gibran Rayo is playing the best soccer of his career. He probably has the best chance to jump up this year, but I think he's more likely going to be, you know, sold or, or somehow facilitated to a USL championship team. Probably. Um, Hope Kudzo is is still got massive potential and is just 18. Um, you know, the, oh, the Kazu, the left back, left wing, that guy looks terrific. They're, so they've got, you know, Blaine Ferry's showing a little bit. There's okay. a, five or six guys who, with the next two or three steps of progression, could get to MLS in a couple of years. There's nobody like right, there's no Pepe where it's like, sign that dude now, start playing him. There's nobody like that right now, which is why they're not scoring. The closest one, of course, is Kaiser Gomez, who they literally already signed and then immediately loaned back who's 20. So he's a center back. So he's got, you know, he's won for the next couple of years for FC Dallas. Um, and then Nicky Hernandez, who's had an absolutely horrific year by every stretch of imagination. He can't even start for North Texas right now. So, and he's their draft pick. We'll see what happens with him. Right. So there's lots of intriguing guys. There's, there's okay. nobody, there's nobody that's like knocking the door down other than maybe Alcazi uh, close. And a left back kind of guy. That's an interesting one for sure. Especially with Nelson being out for like eight months. That could get, I mean, you know, back surgery. You never know with that poor kid. Yeah, I mean, man, they're playing all the way out there in Arlington. I just can't be bothered to drive all that way. If only it were on ESPN Plus and you could watch every game. <laughs> if, if only. All right. Anything else, guys? Going once. 
Well, the only other thing is that, as I, I mentioned this last pod, I want to mention it again because I think it's important that Antonio Carrera is, again, still, he's with FC Dallas every single day now. He's the basically the U19 goalkeeper. And I think that's given how uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? You guys know Drew Keyshawn. Given mm-hmm. how stern and demanding that guy is, how how little patience he has for players that cannot – I don't mean like kids. He'll bring in a kid and work with him and all that kind of stuff. But if you're there every day, that's no longer you're a kid. That's now you're impacting our training. So for Carrera to be going on – I think he just turned 18 maybe – for them to be invited to be there every single day tells you a great deal about where they see him and where he will be in the next couple of years with this if organization. If you're good enough, you're old enough, right, Buzz? Exactly. Well, Especially for Keyshawn. That dude, oof. We've seen him bum out college kids in like what, oh. half a training session before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, once you're an adult age, he, he has no patience for any kind of li- – if you can't maintain what he's trying to do, and he's training at a very high level with these keepers, if you cannot maintain that level, see ya. And this kid is, and that's I think that says a lot about his potential. And there's another great keeper too, like a year behind him, two years behind him. So the kid that's like 13 and is yeah. eight feet tall, I Julian Eyestone. It's gonna be a miracle if Julian Eyestone makes it to FC Dallas. That kid's uh, in the in the in every way positive. He's a freak of nature. And it'll be very unlikely that he actually makes it all the way to FC Dallas, despite the fact that he's going to be. I Wait, mean, do you mean in terms of that he'll sign a deal and get sold, or that he'll yeah. go? He, he'll refuse to sign a deal and go some on his own path. Yeah, one or the other, because he'll be worth way too much money too fast. You know, I mean, he's already six six. He might. He's probably done growing. He might get to six seven. And he and you think, of course, a guy that got size can dunk. But sometimes when you're that size at like 14 years old, you lose your uh, coordination. He has not phenomenal athlete. He obviously, as I just joked, can dunk a basketball. He really does. He's such a good athlete. In fact, that the teams that he's on, the, the, the academy team he's on, if they're playing somebody that's terrible, they'll use him as a nine when they want to play their other keeper, their backup keeper. They'll play him as a nine in the game as a forward he's a crouch. Yeah, like a crouch. But that's how good of an athlete he is, is that they'll just stick him in and use him, and he's perfectly good enough. Is to he any good as a nine? Uh, I don't – I mean, not like legitimately like that. But he's plenty good enough to stomp the tar out of whatever scrub team Dallas is playing in the academy. <laughs> and just so if there's somebody listening to the pod that isn't aware, his name is Jordan Eyestone? Julian Eyestone. Yeah. Julian Eyestone, and he's yeah. how old? Uh, he's He might be 15 now. He was – when he was – 13, he was already 6'3". So now at 15, he's 6'6". Six, six. Yeah. Uh, he's going on 16. He's pretty close to stopping growing. So he might get to 6'7", but but maybe not. He's getting close. Yeah, so he's on the crazy. he's the U17 keeper. So he's now, I don't know, he's, not, he's probably 16 now. I had to look it up. So, But he's he's a baby. But you can you should see him when they take a picture with the rest of his teammates. He's a whole head and a half. Yeah, there are taller, pictures of yeah. him with his team where you you think there's a kid standing on somebody other's, some other kid's shoulders. Yeah to get him that much bigger than everybody else. Uh, it is pretty amazing. Yeah. And a guy that size, you would worry about like the quickness, like getting down low and tight. No problem at all. The dude's phenomenal athlete. Um, you know, he and Carrera almost like a year and a half apart are going to come out of the Academy, both high level pro goalkeeping prospects. I uh, with the freakish size will probably be the one that will be, you know, gone and out and off doing something else probably mm-hmm. just because it's going to be really difficult to hold on to him. 
The Frisco Football Factory continues to churn. All right. Anything else going once, going twice? Possible discussion point. Uh, Refereeing. So the game at the weekend, uh, obviously you had Baltimore, Toledo, the wonderful sideshow of of the MLS circus. (laughs) A couple of incidents, I think, uh, was it Hedero Brian goes down in the box in a very... I think like second minute, right? Uh, Paxton's brought down in the box. Um, immediately gets turned back for the for the second RSL goal. There's a Justin Glad handball around the edge of the area. Every time, um, it seemed like Toledo was trying to do what we kind of all said at the start of VAR about you know referees maybe not refing the game and and kind of waiting to see if they get that call. Now, you know, I don't think that. Obreon was fouled, but the the other two incidents were just outside of the area, so not eligible to be reviewed. Is this, you know, do we think this is something that's going to be a recurring theme, or is this just Toledo sucks? Um, I I tend to find that that the way uh, MLS is running VAR, I understand where that premise comes, but it does seem to vary from referee to referee. And Toledo definitely does give you the vibe of a guy who's made a decision in his head that if, unless I'm absolutely certain, I'm not going to call it. And I'm just going to assume if it's a big deal, somebody will ring up my ear and tell me I need to go back and look at it. Yeah. The problem with that is that the VAR and MLS have instructions to not do that unless it's massively obvious because they don't want to infringe upon the goal the referee and like embarrass him by like overturning his stuff all the time so like they're not supposed to actually do it unless it's blatantly horrific. well what 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 is that what's that phrase um uh, what's the what's the terminology they've used from the beginning that now is completely escaping me? Clear and Some, obvious. Cl- thank you. Clear and obvious. So I've always, I mean, I still think they run it, Buzz, is clear and obvious, not like, oh, my God, they just ripped somebody's arm off. And I, I don't think it has to be that. But I do think, in fairness to what to, to to what Dan is pointing out, is that you get into these situations where he doesn't make the call and you don't get it because he's just outside the box and VAR isn't going to adjudicate that. So now you've missed the opportunity for a free kick just outside the box. And I think that's where the way Toledo is running this becomes a bit of a problem. But I would also say that I think even prior to the VAR, if I remember Toledo correctly, he wasn't a big guy to call a lot of stuff to begin with. He wasn't a ticky-tacky kind of... Uh, I mean, it had to be pretty uh, pretty severe. He'd let guys play. So, I mean, the thing I noticed, because, you know, I mean, it was something I'd asked Lucci about, and so I went back and looked at all the fouls, and the closest foul he called to either box for the attacking team was 25 yards out. Like, he was, you know, nothing in the final third, you know, virtually yeah. nothing in the final third, which is almost unheard of but then you get those moments where Paxton goes down and the players are, are going to the referee and RSL break up the other end and you know a couple of seconds later score it's just you know and I'm sitting there watching thinking are they gonna call, is this gonna be that weird event that, that weird occurrence that we talked about where a goal gets chalked off and instead it's a penalty to the other team and you know they cut to the replay and it was just outside the box so not reviewable in any way but but a definite foul and it, it just seemed it, it just seemed baffling that that was like var in mls i think honestly um you know compared to other leagues it's been excellent but it just seemed such a terrible 
implementation of it, maybe just by one referee. I just, I just one. I just hope that that's not going to be like a discussion point down the road of, oh no, what what Peter said in the first place came true. Well, but I do think that I mean anybody that's running VAR is never going to make that. I mean, no VAR is as my best as my understanding globally is ever going to go back and tell a referee that there was a foul outside the box and to call it right. Well, that's, that's up to the rest to call it. Yeah, that's the point. And it was kind of like you know, it was it was so close to the edge of the box. It's like, is he leaving it saying, well, if it was in the box, I'm going to get a call in my ear, so I don't have to worry about it. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the problem is, is that he's not recognizing that one way or the other, he needs to give the ball to Dallas as a foul, whether is it, it because it's a penalty kick because it's in the box or if it's just outside of the box, it needs to be there. And maybe that's where the Toledo in particular needs to be more, um, you know, accurate yeah. in his foul recognition. But yeah. he's right. never been that kind of guy, though, Dan. I don't I, I think no, that is true. more about him than the overall implementation of, of, of VAR. Yeah, I definitely, you know, and that was kind of it. It's like Toledo obviously has his reputations. And it's, you know, was it Toledo? Or was it the quote-unquote system? Now, that incident may have cost Dallas. Dallas cost Dallas the game. That's, you know, no, we're not we're not talking like uh, no. that little SB Nation blog that came up with the every reason that every <laughs> FC Dallas goal ever should be discounted. You know, one of the things that I do wonder is I, I get the sense that there are some MLS teams, and I think this is true about any team in any league. There are there are certain teams that are really good about coaching their players to understand the differences about how each referee referees a game, and they know that so and so's been assigned to their game, and part of their pregame kind of thinking is, all right, Toledo's doing this game. He doesn't tend to call fouls, you know, within twenty yards of anybody's box, so get stuck in those types of conversations and I do tend to think sometimes that's not I just this is just a casual observation is that I don't think Dallas does I don't I wonder if that's part of Lucci's coaching and pregame preparation I think it's very clear to me that it is part of the preparation of somebody like uh, a Bradley or uh, um uh, an arena or some of these other more veteran uh, uh, coaches, I do think that's something missing out of, of Dallas's uh, the way they prep for games because they do tend to seem to fall victim to that a lot. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you, you know, you got like mentioned like uh, an arena, Bradley or, or, or Oscar. Those are all guys that have known Toledo for a very long time and have kind of been on the end of that experience. It's, it's interesting to see kind of how you get around that. And that, yeah. you know, I, I think one of the things that we talked about in Lucci's first days was that Drew Keyshawn, that was going to be one of his things that he knew the stadiums, he knew the cities, he knew the, the training venues, he knew the referees, he knew the opposition teams and, and that he would uh, hopefully be that, that uh, bridge the gap on that knowledge. Oh, well, when you said you wanted to talk about referees, I was hoping you were wanting to point out that uh, the pro referee organization now has a new ref kit that they can assign to games. Did you see that it was the debut of the orange oh. referee kit? Oh, really? I don't know. Yes. So, you know, you've heard me complaining that they've only had three kits to use, a light blue, a navy, and... Um, yellow, right? Uh, uh, the, no, is it yellow? Or is it no, green? It's green, the fluorescent green, and how that was creating all sorts of conflicts with keeper jerseys and so forth. 
So they have now rolled out this fluorescent orange kit as well. So that's the new one for all. There's your kit nerd talk for the podcast. It's weird that they, it's weird they just didn't bring back the yellow. That seems to be a pretty good color to have. Well, yes, because I did find it weird that they chose to ask them to wear an orange kit when one of the teams is wearing kind of a burgundy and yellow uh, mix. I don't know. It just there seemed to be a, a smarter more contrasting referee color that could have been worn, but then some of the keeper, one of the keepers was wearing green, so it gets super nerdy, and I don't want to overdo it, but it was a new orange referee kit from Capelli, who's their also, uh, supplier. When they're dealing with Capelli, maybe thinking, hey, Adidas has this specific shade of light blue for goalkeeper jerseys. Can you not use it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, or green, because the green one actually uh, yeah. uh, conflicts with the, uh, with the green keeper option, too, so... All right, sorry, that was way down the kit nerd rabbit hole. I apologize about that. All right, let's try. But that's this a one great segue to something else, isn't it? <laughs> it is. But before I do that, going once, anything else? Going twice, going thrice. Thanks, Pappy. Check for the music. Yeah. Hey, Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer Ninety. That is your source for all your FC Dallas. I, a.k.a. Ricardo Pepe, national team and international club gear. Highlights include the new Dallas Tornado exclusive tee. It is a lovely shirt. And the FC Dallas Kick Childhood Cancer pregame top is also available. And all th- third-degree listeners get that 25% off when you use the code thirddegree at checkout at Soccer90.com. And don't forget that Buzz is now offering l Tren number 14 t-shirts over at thirddegree.net so you need to go stock up and make buzz a billionaire off of his t-shirt empire (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) two dollars a shirt man i've told you this so many times i uh so uh, nothing out of all of this has made me more happy than seeing everybody globally using your nickname the whole l train train choo choo Peppy the Train, all of that is getting used by everybody, the club, the federation, media members, fans, and that's all because of something you started a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's a ton of fun. It, it actually, we actually looked up the, uh, with the help of somebody on Twitter, we actually found the original two tweets, which were from the hat trick debut game back in March of 2019, when, when I first said the train thing, and then I thought, you know what, that's a real, and I even tweeted, this is a really great nickname. And it really translates well, El Tren, and that was the start of it. Um, in the end, if Pepe wasn't good, and if he didn't like it, then it wouldn't have taken off. So I want to give all the credit to Pepe. I just had a nice moment. And and I do, of course, get so much joy out about the fact that it is going with him, and it's become a whole thing. And I was, <laughs> this is stupid, but I was so disappointed that when he scored, that the guy didn't do like an El Tren choo-choo thing and he did that whatever that pet me by name thing whatever i was like no dude where's my choo-choo train oh it was a missed opportunity yeah but you know he had to get his own thing and i get it but you know somebody somewhere will be l trend stuff and merch and i'll always be cool to think it's you know something that came out of me and that's fun that's always fun have you ever had a conversation with him directly about it i know that you have you ever talked to him about it on on Twitter? Um, when right after we first started doing it, somebody tweeted at him, you know, why do they call you El Tren? He said, I have no idea. You'd have to ask third degree. And he uh. added me. And so I responded 
for the three or there's three reasons why. And I, I listed them all. And that's the only real conversation we've ever had about it. I know Dan has had a conversation with him about it. Yeah, about a couple. He, uh, I mean, originally, I just asked him if he was uh, what he thought about it. And he was like, dude, I love it. It's, uh, it's cool. I don't really get it. But, I mean, my family and friends use it. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, L Train, come to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, I'll train. Take the garbage out. <laughs> oh, my favorite moment of the whole thing was the other day when he actually wore an engineer hat up to one of the FC Dallas games. Did you notice that? Yeah. Oh yeah, fan gave it to him outside. Yeah, yeah. that was, that was, that was so was good. Pretty damn great. All right. Well, despite the loss, we all are kind of feeling a little giddy inside as our very own is now the star of the U.S. men's national team after scoring on his debut and hitting a hat trick of assists. I just don't know how if it gets any better than that. It's such a wonderful, uh, a, such a wonderfully good feeling, and especially considering that he's making up for all the shame that Weston McKinney put on us uh, yeah. just a few days earlier. And we haven't even talked about that, so maybe we'll do that in the next pod. All right, uh, Dan, thank you very much, sir, for all your stuff and insight and good thank nature. You. And Buzz, as always, congratulations. Go make a bunch of money on T-shirts. Yeah, thanks. And FC Dallas Curious fan, thank you. We will speak to you next time, hopefully with a bunch of points in our pockets on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Chew, freaking chew. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree. Third degree, never get. Third degree, the third degree, never get. Third degree, the third degree, never get.